0: You are listening to Westside Unscripted. This is the podcast where the pastors loosen their ties, throw away their notes, and talk about all things theology and culture. I'm Josh Bartels, the assistant to the pastors here at Westside. And uh, just like last week, actually, I am not joined by Pastor Peter Montoro for this week's episode. He is still out with illness, and uh, God willing, will be back in with us next week to answer uh, some of the listener questions that we have stored up for him And uh, so we'll tackle a new topic next week. But for for this week, I'm uh, pulling from a segment he did at our 2021 men's retreat back in December. Uh, The theme of the retreat was resilient light, how to keep the light on in our church, in our households, and in our individual lives uh, to keep shining brightly, even as the world gets dark. This particular segment comes from the last of four sermons that he preached. And in this segment, he talks about how to build a resilient household, what is involved in building a household that can weather the storm uh, of the darkness that surrounds us, both in our culture, in our uh, nation, and in our individual locales. How can we be the kind of people and have the kinds of households that can stand and weather the storm? And so without further ado, here is Pastor Peter.
1: So undoing. The inhuman destruction created by the technological society is a massive and multi-generational project. We're not going to finish it by next week, in other words, or next year, or even within our lifetimes, perhaps. And while restoring a community of productive households should be the long-term goal towards which we strive, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And yet even the longest of journeys begin with taking the first step. And they begin with staying on your feet long enough to arrive at the destination. So in this case, even as we seek to change many things about our present environment, we need to begin by seeking the economic resilience that we need to stay in the game long enough to see the long-term changes that we want to see take place. So if we say, hey, here's where we want to arrive, here's what the goal is. Well, if that goal is a distant one, Then you have to make some short-term thinking about how you're gonna stay on your feet long enough to begin to make progress towards that goal. So you have a long-term vision of this is what we want, but we can't get that right now, at least not for everyone, not for all of us, and not all the way. And so we have to be thinking, What are some things, A, that we can do to achieve some of the good things we're aiming at even now within these conditions? And B, what are the things we need to do to stay in the game long enough to accomplish a long-range goal? So we need to think about short-term economic resilience because if you want to continue to shape your household uh, for a long-distance goal, you've got to feed your household in the time in between so that they're all still alive uh, when you get there. Otherwise, it's a pointless exercise. So, Uh, if we are going, in this case, as we seek to change many, so if we're going to sustain gathered and scattered worship as the people of God, if we're going to keep the light on, if we're going to restore the biblical household, we're going to have to find resilient ways, even right now, in the short term, this week, next week, next month, next year, to keep our families fed and our bills paid right now, in the present, within the broken system in which we now live. So even as we develop grand visions of recreating the economic order in a more godly and a more human manner. We've gotta work within the present economic order to feed our families and pay our bills right now. So let's get down to brass tacks, as it were. Let's talk about resilience in the way that we make money and resilience in the way that we spend money. So the events of the past few years, past year and nine months or so, have revealed that there is no such thing as a secure job. Now at the beginning, small business owners We're getting hammered. And those who had government jobs were living it well. You had everything just as you always had it. You had a government job, you got paid even when you stayed home. Small business owners had onerous regulations that were absolutely miserable to do. So I've talked to some of you in both of those categories. Over the past few months, the people in deep distress, those roles have exactly reversed. As those who had secure government jobs now realized that their jobs were not as secure if they did not do exactly what they were told in areas that they never thought they were going to be told to do something in. And those who are small business owners had a lot of freedom from those things and they had flexibility. Um, And so uh, what that has revealed is there is no such thing, there's no magic bullet that's going to guarantee perfect financial resilience. So there's nothing you can do that's going to guarantee that you will experience no pain in any circumstance uh, that is coming. However, there are a few lessons, most of these are from talking, some of them from reading that I've done, but also from many conversations that I've had with many of you uh, that I think are some lessons that we can learn uh, for future challenges. Uh, So the first is independence, the second is flexibility, uh, and the third is excellence. So independence. In general, those who own their own businesses have more flexibilities than those who don't. You can't guarantee that your business will be a success Um, And you may face massive challenges and you're going to have significant risks, but at least if you're in charge of the business, when things aren't working out, you can pivot to do something that might work out better. So there's no way you can guarantee you're not going to suffer significant financial pain, but if you've been prudent in the way that you run your business... You can pivot in time to uh, stave off starvation, at least, even if you don't get all of the things you were hoping to get. So even if you suffer a financial reversal, you're able to pivot, you're able to change, um, and so you have some flexibility. So it won't protect you from hardship, but it can help you to avoid disaster. And my dream because of this, because of uh, the the flexibility that independence brings would be to see as many of us as possible pursue independence from the marketplace, to be able to employ one another and to work together to pivot in difficult times uh, and to take the first steps towards creating a culture of productive productive households, a culture uh, that shows a different way of being human, a different way of feeding our families uh, than the world as a whole is exhibiting. So that would be a long range goal. And I would just say that as you're seeking to start a business, two things. One, um, be excellent. So don't expect everyone else to hire you just because you're a Christian if your work is lousy. Right? Seek to uh, honor the name of Christ in the way that you do your work. Right? And don't be offended if your work isn't very good and people don't want to hire you. On the other hand of that, if you have a brother in Christ in the community who you can hire even if it costs a little more, as long as they can do the work, then hire them, help them out. Help us build connections. Let's be a network of connections where this is the easiest seedbed to start a business in all of the state of Washington. Wouldn't that be a wonderful goal? Where we have the connections and the resources where someone is starting something new and they actually know what they're doing and that, this is predicating, not just someone comes up with an idea. So don't be offended. If you have an idea and someone else says it's a bad idea, maybe they're right. You should listen to them. Uh, Maybe they're wrong and you should try. But anyways, this is not about like getting really thin skin about everybody's got to support my idea, but the idea that we are actually a uh, full hearted and hard nosed at the same time, a community of individuals who know what it takes to start a business and we have that. That information that you don't get out of books that you get from learning other people, and so there's mentorship that goes on, and there's opportunities that take place, and there's networking that takes place, and forget all the B&I groups, this is the place you wanna be if you wanna be connected. Right? That's a vision that I think we should aspire to, and that will help us to build the independent resilience that we're going to need to survive and to thrive uh, in the times that are here and the times that are coming. And the second part about that is you need to be honest about where you are and what you can actually do. So just because you want to start a business doesn't mean that you actually have done the preparation that is necessary to do a good job at it. And so you should seek honest feedback from not just people who will cheer you on whatever you do, but people who will say, look, I know your, your aspiration is good, but you're not there yet. You need, to, you need to wait a little while. You need to apprentice maybe with someone else. You need to work towards it. You have some, some things you need to learn about money or about something else. So be willing to be honest about who you are. So it's good to have this vision that we should uh, be independent, but if you're not ready for it, you can make things worse uh, than they were before. Um, And so really be honest. Not everyone is cut out for that. Some would be better working for someone else who has a vision and has an opportunity to start something. So the first is independence as a goal, something. That's more of a long range goal in many cases. But second, in general, those who have, and all of these are in general, there's always exceptions, right? Pardon me. In general, those who have more than one option for employment have more freedom than those who have only one. So if there's essentially only one employer who can enable you to support your family at the level that you're living, then that employer has a massive amount of power over you. Yeah. The employer has the whip hand and you basically have to do whatever they say. If you have multiple options because you have a lot of skills and you have connections, and if you, you know, can't have this job, you've got another job that will work equally well, then the pressure that you feel is dramatically less. Even though you're in exactly the same situation on paper, when you have other options, the pressure that you feel is going to be dramatically less and that's going to give you freedom. With optionality comes freedom. You can comply or not comply based on your conscience and as the decision would warrant because you have another option should you choose not to comply and you lose your job. Uh, And so having more options is going to give more freedom And so one of the things, C.R. Riley, I've got quite a few ideas from him about this talk about households. He has a book called Man of the House. We're going to try to get it in the bookstore. We haven't got it yet, uh, but it's a really good book that would be a good one to to look at. Some of you I know have read it already. Um, But one of the things he talks about is turn your job into a trade school. So as you're working for an employer, so you want to be independent, but you're not in a place where you can be yet. Well, approach your job with a skills learning mentality. What? transferable skills could you learn at your job that you might be able to take elsewhere um, that would give you options? And be thinking about, don't you know, always be one foot out the door, but be thinking about what flexibility could I have if something went wrong here, what could I do instead? And have that in mind that it's going to help build resilience in the finances of your family. The third is excellence. In general, those who are genuinely excellent at what they do have more leverage than those who are merely average. Again, this is not always the case. Sometimes those who are genuinely excellent have a lot of people who envy them, who want to stab them in the back at the earliest possible opportunity. That happens too. Uh, But in general, if you're actually good at what you do, if you're really good, if you're exceptionally good at what you do, you are more likely to be the last person to leave uh, than the first person to leave. Um, And so that is a principle. So three things that we can do to develop, and again, none of these is a magic bullet, but often uh, in so many areas of life, It only takes a very small change, a very small intentional change to see a massive reduction in fragility and exposure and a massive increase in resilience. Sometimes all it takes is just thinking about it and you start noticing things you didn't notice before. But if we're going to keep the light on, if we're going to continue to feed our families, if we're going to be able to stand our ground at this time and in this place, we're gonna to have to give attention to this matter of resilience. We're gonna to have to be thinking about these things uh, because you know, if one person loses their job, then the church benevolence can, we can come alongside that person and help them. But if half the church loses their job, that becomes a lot less feasible. You know, we can make sure everybody gets fed maybe, but we can't make sure everybody's bills gets paid if half the church is out of work. But if all of us are thinking about these things, and it's just a few people at a time, then we can be a lot sturdier economically, and we can keep the light on uh, even as we're going through difficult times. Economic resilience, of course, is not just down to how you make money, it's also about how you spend money. Being in debt is the ultimate financial fragility. If you've bought a bunch of stuff you can't afford, and you've got credit card debts, and you're overextended on a house, and you've bought a car you can't afford, then it doesn't matter if you have options, you can't afford to be without a paycheck. So you've gotta do what your employer says. Uh, Even if you had another employer, you just can't afford to have a gap at all because you've overextended yourself so dramatically. If you're gonna be financially resilient, you're gonna have to spend money, less money than you're making. So you're living below your means, not above your means. So if your means change, you can adjust downward. So if we're to build uh, resilient households, okay, given the volatile times in which we live, there's no single magic bullet that will enable us to ride the waves without any difficulties. This is not always going to be easy. It will involve sacrifice. It will involve suffering. uh, There will be hardships. There will be pain. But simply by considering the basic principles of independence, flexibility, excellence, and thrift, we can become massively more resilient than we otherwise would be. Able to keep the light on, able to keep advancing the light. When others have to retreat, if we give attention to resilience, we'll have the resources to be able to keep advancing even as others are retreating. And to keep the light on much longer than we otherwise would have been able to do. So we've considered the culture of our households, the economy of our households, and it's time now to turn to the education of our households. When we think of education, we tend to think primarily of academics, and certainly academics are a major part of education. Yet education is more than academics. Education is ultimately about implanting a particular vision of the good life and then imparting the knowledge and developing the skills necessary to achieve it. Education is about implanting a particular vision about what is good and then imparting the knowledge and the skills necessary to achieve that good. So everything that, 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 that is part of that task is part of what education is about. And this is a task that in the scriptures uh, is given primarily to fathers. It's your responsibility to see to the education of your children. That doesn't mean you have to do all the work of education, it just means you're responsible for the end result. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's talking about the task of education, of training them up in what is good in life and giving them the skills and the knowledge necessary to achieve that. Your children aren't only being educated when they sit in a classroom or open a textbook. They're also being educated, also being shaped by the media that you allow them to consume, by the books that they read, by the friends that they have, and by the tasks that they learn to perform. So education involves all of life. So the first point about education uh, is that education is more than academics. It's not less than, but it is more than. The second point is that secular education is not going to form a Christian people. If education is about imparting a vision of the good life and imparting the skills and the knowledge necessary to achieve that, then a secular education is not going to form a Christian people. We talked earlier about how antithetical the modern technological society is to anything remotely resembling a biblical family structure. The same is true three times over for the entirety of the modern public school system from Washington to Florida, from Maine to California. Now it's common to think that the primary problem with the public schools are the insanely perverse sexual education that they provide, and the bad influences and behaviors that are present within them, and all of that is true. All of that is true, that that's a problem. Yet as bad as these things are, and they're pretty bad, uh, that is not the most fundamental problem with the public schools. The most fundamental problem with the public schools is that they are designed from top to bottom in every single class to support a structure in which these perversions make sense. It's not just that they give the wrong answers. It's that they teach students to ask the wrong questions. It's not just these little bits of the puzzle that are wrong. They're working from the wrong puzzle box. And therefore, it isn't just in sex ed class and avoiding that and now we're scot-free, we're good. It's in the so-called social studies and language arts and whatever they're calling math today and the whole rest besides. So it's easy to get all worked up about the woke ideology, but we have to see that this critical race theory and all of this is simply the latest symptom in a disease that goes all the way back to the founding of the public schools in the 1850s. They have always been designed as a support and a prop to the technological society that as we have seen is antithetical to the biblical household. The thing is rotten to the core. If we're to keep the light on as a Christian people, if we're going to live as a people within a people, we're going to have to have a Christian education, Christian character formation. If we surrender our children, we surrender our future. Remember I talked about it at the beginning, we have an edge in that we have way above average number of children. If we lose the children, We're raising children for our enemies. We're we're, we're losing the one advantage that we have in this. And yet if we're to resist the education of the world, we need to remember the public school is not the only form of secular education because education isn't limited to the classroom or the textbooks. Secular media, whether it comes in the form of ungodly television shows and movies, social media or the internet more generally, is every bit as dangerous as the public schools and for the same reason. Almost without exception, these form of media work very hard and intentionally to indoctrinate those who view them into the inhuman and ungodly structures and beliefs that dominate our society. So I'm going to be very blunt. Of course, that's not news because I've been blunt the whole time. But if your children grow up watching television that celebrates and normalizes homosexuality as every major network show does without exception, even the clean and good ones. Don't be surprised when they find the teachings of scripture about homosexuality hard to accept, even though you've kept them out of the public schools. Children, and especially teenagers, are very curious. They want to explore the world, and especially those parts of the world that have been kept secret from them. If you allow your children to have a computer with internet access in their room, or a smartphone or a tablet that they have independent access to, You are doing everything in your power to get them hooked on pornography from an early age. Don't think of it like you're crossing a busy road and it's a risk, but you hope that they'll make it. No, you're giving them a cloak of invisibility and you're telling them, go camp out in the middle of I-5 during rush hour traffic. That's what your odds are. You give them internet access, they'll get hooked on porn. End of story. It's like throwing them into a ring with uh, a, a... Cage fighters, it's, uh, UFC, it's UFC, right? UFC cage fighters, and being like, you know, go fight the champion. <laughs> Let's see how you do. Children are not up to that task. Children are not up to that task. Children do not need, and by children, I mean anyone who's not an adult. They do not need independent internet access. The only internet access they should have should be out in the open. With a filter where you can see it, and where their little siblings can walk by and see it. And you need to check the history, even under those conditions, and lock it down in the middle of the night, so they're not up in the middle of the night uh, looking at things while everyone's out of the living room. You have to treat this like the conduit for poison that it is. Yes, we have to use the internet to do lots of things. We can't just you know, for the most part, get rid of it completely. At some point, they're going to need to learn to use how to use a computer. But don't give them their own devices. I don't care if you have a filter on the devices. If they have access to the devices, they can get around the filter. Because there are people out there who are coming for them. And they will find them. And your children are not up to dealing with that kind of pressure any more than they'd be up dealing with a UFC fighter in his prime (laughs) and you just throw them in the ring and you're like, have fun, don't do anything that I have told you not to do, it's not gonna work. If you wouldn't trust your children to spend time alone in a brothel, don't trust them to spend time alone on the internet because there's more filth on the internet than there is in a brothel. And they will find it. And it will find them even if they're not looking for it. No matter how well you have trained them, young minds simply weren't designed to a that kind of temptation. So we've talked about public schools, we've talked about secular media, but excellence in education isn't achieved by subtraction alone. Secular education, whether it comes in the form of public schooling or secular media, is not going to form a Christian people. Yet at the same time, genuine education is never the result of subtraction alone. Remember our mission? We are called to keep the light on. We are called to become a resilient Christian community that can bring the light of the city to every corner and to every level of our world. If we're going to be faithful to this mission at this time and in this place, we're going to need some leaders with some serious chops. The more we are in a minority, the more we are going to need to be excellent simply to survive, let alone to thrive. And therefore, while removing secular influences is essential, it isn't the end goal. You haven't educated your children just because you've cut them off from certain things, important as that is. That's simply a ground-clearing exercise to enable the real work of education to begin. Not every child is going to be academically inclined, but every child should be pushed to be both deep and broad, to be genuinely excellent in one or a few areas, and to be broadly capable in many areas, even if those aren't their specialty. We should raise our expectations for our children and do the work to make sure that they have what it takes to achieve those expectations. We need to pursue genuine excellence.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast again this week. God willing, Pastor Peter will be back next week to answer more questions about theology and culture. So if you have those, uh, have questions you're thinking about, or even want to follow up on this episode of uh, what it takes to have a resilient household, send those questions to me, josh at bibledirectionforlife.com. And if you want to find out more about the church, if this is your first time listening to our podcast, you can go to www.bibledirectionforlife.com to find out more about us. The sermon podcast of West Side Baptist Church is called Bible Direction for Life, and you can find it on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you for listening, and we will be with you again next week for more West Side Unscripted.